can truly, surely, woo a sigh of relief that 2022 is in the rear view mirror. There was the untimely death of my father and my gangster sister's health crisis and all of us getting COVID and we didn't die. I am here as a testimony to the survival and thriving. No excuses and no patience for pity parties. I'm gonna be talking about how to glow up as a podcaster or not. Good black news and words of encouragement and shade if you stupid. What I'm reading, the Dallas Cowboys and other things, football and sports, pop culture news, donkeys donking and side eye shenanigans. I like the part of the podcast where I talked about over 40 dating and other relationship issues. Quark's bar dedicated to podcasts, reality TV recaps. Join me as I fuss and have a moment as I kick and stomp my way through the next iteration of my life. Join me for this rocking good time. And thank you for listening. My glow up, my glow up, my glow up continues. I keep mentioning this at the top of the show, you know, again, not too long ago, I had topped out at 3,600 downloads for the entirety, for all episodes. Now I'm well over 100K, and according to Podbean this morning, as I sit here on this clear but cold, wintry morning in my RV, I'm way over 116 my show is guaranteed to get anywhere between 16 to 20,000 downloads per month. Each show, 2,000 downloads. However, you know, in order to keep this coming, you actually have to be able to have the correct team behind you to get the perfect breakout clips, as well as the uh, perfect edited show. I have hired a team to do just that. So mad shout out to my partners in creative crime, Kelly Kramer and Raphael Crump. I'm just so grateful to both of you guys um, to making my show and continue to make my show and my glow up for real, for real. Also, I wanted to give a special shout out to everyone that left me five um, star reviews for the past week or so. Mad shout out to, what's this child's name? Sarah or Torp79. I just love this podcast. I need more episodes. It should be episodes. And mad shout out to Caden Runoffs and 49. Great podcast. One of my favorite podcasts. Love, love, love. And although this is from Blake, it's kind of creepy. I like this podcast more than it's comfortable. Yeah, that's kind of weird. This podcast is fantastic. Learn a lot from each episode. I especially like the episodes. Thank you. And that's from Raul Shulist. Absolute best podcast from Lauren Schmidt 93. This podcast is so good. Matt Lee, Madeline, Lebalowitz and 59, my favorite new podcast. So having people basically support 
this podcast in such a positive manner makes me feel good and pushes me on to actually get continue to get the downloads, get the attention of the partners, um, and get this completely monetized so I can continue to do what I do, still have fun, and create good content. It only takes a one good partnership to allow and free up the time and build out my team and push this podcast um, to the level it needs to reach and the people it needs to continue to reach unabashedly, without any restrictions, and just free. So stay tuned for what the next chapter of the Tim Fro is reading podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. And again, special shout out to the people that continue to write these five-star reviews. And don't forget, if you review the show, don't be ashamed. I've also increased my subscriptions. Continue to subscribe and consider sponsoring the podcast. Drop a sister, a little bit of change. Any denomination, I'm with it. Let it resound loud as the How amazing was Cheryl Lee Ralph saying one of the most recognizable songs in the history of African-American history. I have found it um, enriching and because I'm making a case to celebrate Black History Month all year long, I am finding more reasons to get into um, how uplifting that song was. Just a little bit of, of history. And even in its conception, it's controversial. Lift Every Voice and Sing has been adopted uh, by many in the last 50 years. But the song is, wow, the song actually is over 122 years old. It was written as a poem by James Weldon Johnson and then set to music by his brother, J. Rosman Johnson. And it was in the context of a prayer of thanksgiving as well of a prayer of faithfulness and freedom where the imagery evokes biblical exodus from slavery to the freedom of the promised land. It gained prominence and was adopted as the Black Negro anthem by the NAACP in the 30s became the rallying chant for the civil rights movement in the 50s and became and thrust in prominence in the social psyche um, after the death of George Floyd in 2020 with the Panorama Pro-V. And you listen to the words, the lyricism, it's it has meaning and it hasn't lost its relevance in the last hundred and some odd years. With all of those things said, I find it interesting with all the controversy about African-American history and the AP course in Florida, this song was written, penned no, nonetheless, and sang for the first time in the segregated schools of Jacksonville, Florida, before the Weldon had to leave after the Great Fire and they 
then settled probably in Harlem, Broadway, no less, after that great fire. That irony is not lost on me, where the song that is part of my national identity as an African-American, that it is probably in one of the most racist, fascist states. It was developed, written, and now the most racist, fascist states in the South. That blows my mind. I don't think I have felt so strongly about um, the State of the Union as I have felt recently. And it started when I was down in Florida, when I started hearing about the changes, a bunch of privileged few have been making to the study of my culture. And I didn't realize that we are in a full-fledged war on freedom and diversity led by these stunt political stuntmen that it seems like they were activated after the previous administration. It's like Trump made it okay to not only be stupid, but to be completely ill-equipped to lead a true democracy. And these are people willing to lean into the most conservative and fascist-leaning control of a society. I think the perversion of democracy has always been sovereign citizenship, but there are other perversions. Just because these thoughts and these beliefs are out there and you can embrace them, but you cannot force it on a rest of a true democracy. I say all of this to say, and I and I've called this section the United Fascist State of Florida, headed by Ron DeSmuctis, because it appears and it feels like the blueprint for the rise of the Fourth Reich. And it kills me for two things. The establishment of the KKK was probably in Waldo, Florida, but also, isn't it ironic that the rise of the civil rights movement and um, the Black National Anthem was also in Florida? You can have those two dichotomies and exist. It is a very much a violent existence. I want to basically say that Ron DeSantis, you're not charismatic. You are a hateful, bigoted human being. And you always have that look. You have dead eyes and you look stupid all the time. You are willing to dumb down a whole state, a, a, a renowned university system, just to gain some control. And you throw out words like too woke or indoctrination, but exactly what you're doing is just that. With this don't say gay, you're only asking for the number of trans students because you're trying to find a way to cut them out of public funding and get them out of your schools. You're basically, uh, it's like a roundup. It, it, it feels so much like the Third Reich and what they were doing in Germany um, during that bleak period in German history. 
and you're not slick. And you got people willing to become activated to also to do your bidding. This Thomas Massey that wants to abolish the educational department because he says it should be on the local level, should be determining what the children are learning. Before 1980, there was no Department of Education, and then it was joined with the Department of Energy. It became a widespread bureaucracy. I get it. However, you can't abolish and just start all over again, because when we did leave it to school, we had the lowest literacy rate and we had some of the stupidest people. And basic education was basic. And the only people that actually got a true education were the people that had money. You had a huge section of the population, including black and brown people that did not have access to education. And that's what, and that's how you control a society. They are more conservative. They're easier um, to uh, pressure and to bully. And they don't ask any questions. And they keep you in place even though you're not fit to serve. That's the type of population. That's how you do population control. And that's how the fascists did it. Y'all are not slick. I am just flabbergasted that you are willing to do all of these things right in our faces and nobody's stopping you. This has to be, I think, all the time. Isn't there some federal offenses that y'all are doing? And why is nobody taking up this fight? Why are the Al Sharptons people that don't, why aren't the Garricks, why aren't the Department of Education coming after these federal violations? And then you got people like Opie Taylor from Mississippi, Christy Nome from North Dakota, and Sarah, drunk Sarah Huckabuck from Arkansas, and the chump clone in khakis in Virginia, considering also stripping or getting rid of a expansive AP course for African-American studies because they say, can't talk about race. I don't want the white kids to feel bad about the bad stuff that my ancestor, their ancestors did. Well, if they don't feel bad about it, they're going to be just like their parents or just like y'all deeming and get and guaranteed to do the same thing over and over again. Y'all are not slick. Y'all are just happy to go back to the 1950s or shoot the 1850s where it's okay to be racist. It's okay to bar people from being in office and being happily married because they're not the right, they're the same gender people withheld from life-saving and gender-affirming surgeries, et cetera, um, and being discriminated against because you don't agree with that lifestyle. Who made y'all judge and jury? Who made y'all so the religious right or the religious white that makes it okay for y'all to be bigots? Just because you're bigoted doesn't mean that your way is the right way. The middle way is okay in moderation, but these massive swings for to liberalism and to conservatism and now fascism in all its ample and inglorious uh, presence is what is so concerning and it's just shocking 
that people think that they can hold these truths to be what how they want to live and how they want future generations to live, they're really ready to implode democracy because of that. I find that egregious. I find that sickening. And it, again, makes a good argument to get the hell out of here until we the, the pendulum swings back to the middle. Sometimes you got to fight fire with fire. And these fools are going low as low it can get. We may have to get underneath them to do some heavy lifting because we cannot become the fourth right. Because that is seemingly what these DeSantis fools, the Huckabucks and the gnomes, they make it okay for a select few that have the same views to basically dumb down America and make it so strict and rigid that it's okay to live mediocre. This is like a surge. As we see a surge in fascism, this surge, it's okay to be mediocre as long as you look like these fools in my donkey's donkeying collage. As long, you can, it's okay to be mediocre. You can't, you know, reach for excellence. It's not something that everybody can do. If you are excellent, fine, but it's okay for everybody to be just as mediocre and beige and nondescript and excellent. And then you could, but you can still think you're the bomb, but in fact, you're just a mediocre, uh, basic Karen. And who wants to live that way? I sure don't. Has anybody ever noticed that, I hate kind of stumbling over my words, but I am an African-American podcaster. I live in the South. I've noticed that if I want to concentrate on the positive nature, on just being that here in the South, sometimes I have to go digging. It takes a lot of effort to be able to find and because I want to celebrate Black excellence all year round. Being that this is Black History Month, I feel a particular need to find the positiveness of Black history and Black excellence. But I also find that people seem to want to turn up the racist and bigoted nature of their thoughts during this month, or it's just at the same time that it is Black excellence is held up, we got other people that are coming after us and our legacies. I say this all to say, I was reading an article in the Washington Post that was, and this article was picked up in the Richmond Times-Dispatch and also the Daily Beach, basically all the national news outlets about this uh, University of Richmond alum. And I'm reading this directly from the Daily Beast. This fool is demanding the university refund his family $3.6 billion over its move to cave to woke activists by taking his family name off the law school. Robert C. Smith is the great-great-grandson of T.C. Williams, whom the law school was named after until last September following the adoption of a policy that prohibits any campus building and programs from being named after a person who directly engaged in the trafficking or enslavement of others or openly advocated for the enslavement of people. 
T.C. Williams was a Southern businessman that his family donated 25,000 bands back in the 1800s for the establishment of this law school. He also donated money to the establishment of Richmond Museum of Fine Arts and even to, I think, to MCV. But that's not here nor there. I don't think they, none of them fools got any business uh, buildings or exhibits named after him. He owned anywhere between 25 to 40 enslaved people, probably my cousins and them. And following this policy, this is after um, there was an outcry for all of the Confederate, correct me if I'm wrong, this was, they when they took the name off this fool's off of their buildings, nobody had res, uh, referred to the law school as the T.C. Williams School of Law for 20 years. Let's just start there. But this also, this move to basically get rid of the Confederacy's taint on everything in the South started with the tearing down of a lot of these statues and removal of a lot of these statues. And his calculation of what his family is owed, I believe, is a bit inflated. 3.6 billion bands what the hell? What is he talking about? And what in the white reparations is going on? I can't even imagine giving this fool back that at all. The original Richmond Times-Dispatch article has the inflated price and even the subsequent donations by this family only calculated at $50 million. I wouldn't even give these fools anything. You don't get the escalated price. You don't get with interest. You need to just go sit down somewhere. It is so stupid that they always want to cave to woke activists when it's not woke activists. These people are just people that know right from wrong. You don't get a pass because this was in the past. You can't demand that you get paid back at an escalated price for something because the reason why your family was able to give up that $25,000 at that time was because they had slaves. They had free workers to build up their wealth. He was a tobacco, he was in a tobacco business. Who cut the tobacco? We did. Who got all of the benefits of the tobacco trade? Your family did off of the backs of enslaved people. You don't get your money back because now what you should get is slap in the head because it's shameful that you're okay with your family making its wealth off of slavery. That's basically what you said. You don't care that they contributed to black genocide because they're black. And that's just the way things work. But you don't get a buy. And nah, bitch, you ain't getting three billion bands. You are not getting that money back. I don't know how you got that escalation. You need to take another math course. But these white reparations that you're demanding are not going to, should not plunge the University of Richmond into decades long poverty. Just like the same thing that when Fran, when basically the people down in Haiti, when Toussaint rose up and kicked the French out for the next almost century. They 
France demanded reparations from Haiti because they basically freed themselves. It was the slaves have to play to pay the slave owners back for their freedom. And they did it for a number of years. They subjected them to millions, just decades and generations of poverty. That's basically what you're demanding. And you should not cave to that. Woke activists be damned. It looks like they engaged 7,000 people from the community. They all basically came to the same conclusions. We don't want to be associated with this particular name. And we're going to, nobody refers to this anyways. We're going to take the name down, go sit down. And basically, Robert C. Smith, go sit down somewhere. We're tired. You just, you have, there is no case for you to get that money back. Now, if you want, if they want to give the 25K back, give them the 25K and give it back to them in Confederate dollars. How about that? Why don't you just do that? Which is what was worthless when they printed it, worthless today, except for historical um, a benefit. If you want to, if you jib jiving, that's what I think basically should happen. And it's just shameful that people are coming out of the woodwork demanding um, and basically making woke be, it's like some type of curse. Because the, if woke means learning, knowing right from wrong and knowing that in order for us to correct the course and learn from the past that you don't want the association. Now, it, taking the name off the building is not going to erase, and it does a little bit to make amends for the Black genocide that lasted for over 400 years. Let's just start there. It's just a small price to pay for what that what was done, but it's a part of our history. We can't by taking the name off the building doesn't erase the fact that the Confederacy happened, slavery happened. Our country is better that we're trying to make amends for that. But at the same time, you're not going to get, there is no price that you, the former uh, masters get for their perpetuation of that abomination. There is no price. Definitely in his 3.6 billion bands, though. I'm just saying. Y'all, he tripping. But you tell the story in all of its factual correctness and placing the blame or where it was. You don't get a refund because slavery was wrong. Slavery helped, the slaves actually helped build this country. But the masters and their subsequent generations don't get a buy and you don't get lifted up for a legacy of murder. You just don't. I mean, I'm sorry. Slavery is wrong. It is completely wrong. Recognize it. And what do you have to do to correct it? If it takes taking your parent, your great, 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 great granddaddy's name off the building, let's just start there. Tell the story. Make sure that you know it's wrong, but don't get this up in your, your panties in a bunch that y'all need to be repaid for some reason. There is no white reparations. That's not a thing. You ain't getting 3.6 billion bands. However, if you calculated that based on inflation, uh, 
uh, manual labor, everything, what wealth, how you actually gain wealth at some escalated price. That is what is owed to the enslaved peoples. If we want to reverse that, I could say they should benefit from it, but not your family. Those 40 enslaved people, that is what, that's where you can start to pay back them for their contributions to allowing your family to have the 25,000K to donate to that school. The ones that chopped, actually chopped the tobacco and got it ready for, dried it and got it ready for harvest, sweated, died, heat stroke, died and worked to death. That's what you, that's what you need to start to pay the 40 original and their descendants, but it should not go to the Williams family. Screw that. Should not. How about that? Online dating is not for the faint of heart. I mean, look at some of the things, the screenshots that are coming across from Tinder. I subscribed to news and I came across this article from BuzzFeeds. And these being on these dating apps is not for the faint. Is really is really not. Some people find love, but others find this crap. There's a first one was a messy interaction between someone who flaked 20 minutes before a date, and then the person asked to be reimbursed for comedy show tickets that they had bought in advance. They got one dude. You could tell he was just fed up. He says he lives in Los Angeles and he says about me, I really prefer a girl that would cheat on you within the first three months of a relationship, not these spawns of Satan that waste five years of your time. And after you introduce them to everyone, you know, and family and your ancestors, then you go and cheat on you. Then when you break up, you got to go sacrifice to go at the grave of your great grandfathers to apologize for introducing them to a hoe. <laughs> There's the uh, routine, boring exchanges. And then there's a person who got shut down for trying to make fun, make a fun little pun on someone's name. And it says, hey, so do you know the difference between bees and wasps? What? A wasp is big and mean. But Abby is pretty and cute. So you're calling me a bee? What if I was? Oh, Jesus, you're a weirdo. Yeah. And then the creepy guy, Kevin, who sent a vulgar inquiry to start a conversation. And then he says, can I pay you 1K to blank on your blank? Okay. Um, no. Girlfriend is out of town looking for something discreet. Can you send better pictures after we match? Okay. And it says, you're so cute. Are you aware that being this cute is a crime? And it says, you're way over the legal limit. I'm going to need to see some registration. And then Marguerite, you know what's cute? Puppies, kittens, maybe a little, a little reptile. You know what's not cute? A fully grown woman. Don't ever call a woman over 30 cute ever again. Wow. And this wild request Hi, Lauren, looking good in your pics. Would you be willing to put your children up for adoption? I want to date someone without kids. So looking for someone who is willing to free themselves of their current kids. It seems like people are okay texting, typing, being terrorists, and just crazy behind the scenes. And this is what keeps people off the apps. And it 
continues to make a case to continue to do the work on your personal life and on your own because you have these type of angry, weird responses to getting on. This is like from my Reddit, my favorite Reddit feed, the deal with zero dates. It seems like people, the first dates are what they call zero dates on the online apps. It says, I get it. This is from Five Nigma four days ago. I get it. No one wants to make a commitment. If there's no chemistry, they want a return on investment or ROI. But hear me out. If you're looking for a long-term relationship or LTR, why is there zero effort? Also, if you live in a vibrant city, surely there are plenty of options other than the coffee meme. I think people have to be careful because of the disposability of these dates. And like one of the other commenters on this thread said that they're busy. Um, they have a limited amount of time to interact and to sort people out. And nobody wants to be, not like back in the day where you take somebody out to dinner or a movie and they get on your nerves and you know within the first five minutes that it's not going to work. I can see like Charlotte is a great place to date. Dallas is a great place to date with the museums, et cetera. But who wants to be stuck with somebody that's a rotten shoe? Because if a lot of these people are used to not having to do a whole bunch of effort just because they're on the online thing, they basically are used to swiping right, um, getting linked with no effort. They're they're not they're unsocialized so they have fallen out of practice about how to be charismatic and engaging on these dates so I do get it like these other people you can suggest something else but there's safety in a coffee meetup there's safety in a walk in the park as long as your knees don't hurt like mine did I like the Panera bread I like the Starbucks but I also like going to a museum because you can, there's something always randomly to talk about. And, but it's, if it's too much heavy lifting because that person is not used to going on a date. And I had somebody tell me this back in the day, I'm not used to doing this, but I know you could get me there. I don't need that type of crut mudging. That was the first and only time that I went out with this person because I just didn't want to put in that much effort. I think you need to also sus, you can sus, sus out in right in the um, beginning within the first five or 10 minutes if you're going to be able to vibe. And if you're in a museum, but you can't come up with anything um, to talk about or, to com or your comments are just ridiculous, that's also telling that that person is either you're out of their league and you need to move on, continue to swipe. But I personally like these like Clover and social, my social alter ego said on this Reddit, start slow or start out low and then you can expand once you absolutely get to know each other. There's no harm in that. And $6.46 on a tall latte or an Americana with three raw sugars is not a bad spin. I guess I'm just a cheap date, but usually um, there's not a whole bunch lost. And you can easily cut your losses when you actually have that type of date. And there's no harm in that. Ain't nobody got time to waste.
any long-term Trekkie knows that is the intro to Picard. And we're now in the third season. And what a great way to start this segment of the episode for Quark's Bar. I started um, Quark's Bar as, I guess, just in general over the last several months as, like, I guess you would call it my dissection on the podcast when I discuss popular culture. Now I use it primarily to discuss all popular culture. Now that Picard is back for its third and final season, I think we're going to be treated to minimum of 10 to 15, hopefully, uh, episodes. And they're going to bring it as they usually do in this and pl- that pl- particular platform, because it is the final season. I've seen them do it in Next Gen. I don't know if I was all that impressed with Janeway and that particular series, but I definitely was impressed with it um, in Deep Space Nine. Um, and I think I basically championed that because I had a major crush on uh, Captain Sisko. Uh, but John Luke Picard is back as an admiral. William Riker is back. Uh, Jonathan Frakes is back as William Riker. Seven of Nine is back. I'm just, I'm excited about the tension between Seven of Nine and that captain. What they're going, how they're going to rescue, um, what's her name? Dr. Crusher. I wasn't impressed or I did not like her character, nor did I like um, Wesley Crusher. So Beverly Crusher it is. And I also want to find out what beef Will has with his daughter and um, his wife. Um, There's just so many moving parts. We get introduced to Jordy's daughter. They call her Crash because she keeps tearing up stuff. It's so funny. Some of the interactions, um, a a lot of the relationships, I think, are going to be realized and expanded upon. And as Seven embraces her human self, there is some type of threat to Starfleet um, and the universe at large. And I'm dope and I'm down to explore that in this final season of Star Trek. And I also have to look up when Discovery is going to come back. And I also am going to look up because some of these themes have been recycled in the Star Trek verse. So um, that's why I have Quark's Bar, because I'm a major stand for Deep Space Nine. And you can't get around it that how all of the different franchises affect or play upon each other. I don't think they'll bring Cisco back um, because I think he walked into the Celestial Temple um, and and rejoined his ancestors, but it would be dope if they could bring him back. We need a good wormhole to be able to travel and to travel effectively. And how they basically... uh, Um, harvested or um, controlled that technology to be able to go to the ends of the universe because that's where it picks up. Beverly and her other son are trapped at the edge of uh, space, Federation space, and they're going to have to have some effective means to move around and to get around and get away from whatever threat that's out there. 
it also has given me, now that I've expanded my team, I'm also going to, it seems like I'm going to have time and the creative energy to make these comparisons and um, get it together for um, bonus episodes, which I really wanted to restart up on Thursdays anyway. So hopefully in the next several weeks, you'll be treated to this particular mention of the episode, my breakdown of the episode prior to the next one being released um, and on my Patreon channel and also on my Badass channel on Podbean. Um, It's going to be under the paywall. So I suggest strongly that you listen to it and you subscribe so you'll never miss a subsequent episode. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. As I tried to decide what I'm going to speak about um, because I've been re-watching Real Housewives of Potomac. I'm gearing up to watch Real Housewives of Atlanta and then I'm re-watching Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. I'm fascinated by what they call the Black Hollywood. I think when I went and visited Blaze down, um, which is Candy Burris and, and Todd place down in Atlanta. I think I saw Mama D, but that's neither here nor there. And I always ask, what is wrong with these people? And I also watched the sneak peek of Real Housewives of Atlanta, excuse me, Real Housewives of Potomac, um, as Giselle comes in looking like somebody from the convocation uh, with her uh, blue dress and she's completely covered up. There's no mention of her speaking about her relationship with the fine dude from Winterhouse, but she has plenty to say about Mia and Gordon's being locked out of their fortune from their family. It looks like she either she was kicked off the board or made to step down as development and CEO of the chiropractic chains and whatever chain she, Mia, um, the character has, the woman on Real Housewives of Potomac has been running for the last several years on allegations of uh, financial malfeasance. And who brings it up? Giselle. Jizzy's at it again. It's completely ridiculous that it doesn't seem, that it seems like she doesn't have anything better to do And except for running her mouth about other people and their relationships and how all of her tea that she gets and the only reason why she speaks to these other characters is for screen time and to continue to secure her bag. I haven't heard anything else about Every Hue reopening back up because that was a legitimate business, her beauty uh, supply or cosmetics business. And even to a certain extent, her relationship with Robin is fraught with fakery too, it appears, because even though they got married in the States, she seems the way they've split them up, it's like they didn't have the green eye bandits next to each other. 
Robin seems diminished to me because of all the lies that we have been told um, that she has been allowed to perpetuate over the this past season and even prior to that. Her and Juan got were secretly married. I don't know how secretly married when you have cameras um, in the Chesapeake Bay or the Eastern Shore, but her family was absolutely there. And she didn't, she said she, and she gave us the middle finger when they were walking away into the sunset because we all know she's crazy for remarrying her cheating ass ex-husband again. All for the sake of what? She, she was the most truthful when she says she doesn't really see a reason for them to get married. Why do they need to get remarried? His credit is still screwed up. I think his job is on the line. Why go through all of that to secure your bag and your sanity? I don't think she, don't get it twisted. I don't think she can afford not to re, uh, record with Real Housewives of Potomac, even though she has falsely and abused this platform for her own gains. Those stupid hats, as well as to get her screen time so she could secure her check. I don't see her as a major character. Um, there are probably Robin and Jizzy fans, but they're just so messy. I don't care for Karen. Don't get me wrong. I am not a LaDom because I don't think that exists because she's delusional. I actually am fascinated by Dr. Acefo as well as Candians because it seems that they were the only truthful ones on this platform. I can't stand that light bright Ashley because I think she's a liar and she is a puppet and she's willing to prostitute herself to also secure her own comfort and she's willing to sell herself to that disgusting Michael Darby because that's all she knows. I don't, I can't admire that and I won't admire that, but I can admire the Brown sisters. I wish Candience would wise up, but she, uh, I think she understands the assignment. She knows I have to do what I need to do to be able to record with my castmates, I'm going to live out my truth to my best of my abilities, even though they all are very, very messy. Even she has always said that Giselle's the devil. And she's also realizing that although she smiles and she seems like she's all like even tempered, Robin is a green eyed devil too. I just find it also very fascinating that these women are still doing, cutting each other, cutting down each other, want to be respected, but, and they ran off Monique Samuels for doing exactly the same crap that they're doing to each other now. Throwing blows, switching allegiances, and staring up lies and trouble for their own storyline and to continue to get screen time. It's disgusting, but it makes for unreality TV watching. Now I'm going to end, hopefully, this part of the show as a homage about what the podcast has always and should have always been. And a little bit of positive notes, you know, what I'm reading. I'm still continuing to read Bevelations, Lessons from a Mother, Auntie, and Bestie. And I think it's going to be aptly titled Work in Progress. In this book, Bevy Smith, fashionista, uh, arbiter of everything cute and curvy, 
basically in this particular chapter, she goes over what it means to become anything. She started her transformation later in life. She firmly believes that age is just a number. You continue to work on your emotional intelligence as you progress at life. In order to realize your true self, you have to be open to hurt, but you're strong enough to know that you'll actually heal from it. She never really worried about getting older. She basically accepted the times in her life from her 20s and her 30s um, and 40s for growth and for soul searching, laying the groundwork for getting her stride and becoming the living testament of life and being greater as she became older. This is a point of contention to most people because it seems like people give up so much of themselves as they support others, support children, support men, um, and giving away all of their strength to other people. But you can't do that if you're trying to build yourself up. You actually not only have to take control of your narrative, you've got to basically plan for it and go after it. And you can't do any of those things if you don't use your own strength instead of giving your power away. There's no way you can be powerful if you're giving your own power away. And that is the true work of work in progress. You should always be in progress. You should always try to expand, always try to grow. Don't give your power away, but use it to control your own narrative and to grow stronger. And there's nothing wrong about that. And there is nothing wrong about wanting to be live and desire to live the best version of yourself. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that, haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint, hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.